Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Better Events Podcast. Today, we are talking about should you have an event? This is a golden question. It might seem kind of obvious, but it's an important one nonetheless. So we are diving into how you can determine if you should have an event and how to talk to your key stakeholders about this question. So here we go. Welcome to the Better Events Podcast. Join two event strategists, Logan Clements and Mary Davidson, who believe we can all create, host, and attend better events. In this podcast, you will learn about event strategy and actions that you can use today as an event host, planner, or manager. Hear directly from the people who are creating innovative and inspiring events today and tomorrow, and grow your business along the way. Now, let's get started, and thanks for listening to the Better Events Podcast. And we're back with another episode of the Better Events Podcast. I'm your co-host, Logan Clements, joined by fellow co-host Mary Davidson here. And we are going to start with a conversation starter. We used to call these icebreakers, but I think at this point we're assuming that you guys all know who we are. So we're just going to start the conversation. So Mary, this is a fun one that I heard from a friend the other day. Would you rather be 10 minutes late or 15 minutes early to everything? I would rather be 15 minutes early to everything. I feel like most people would. My reality is that that's not the case. And I think I I give myself anxiety if I'm running late. And so I think I would just have a chill, more chill life if I was 15 minutes early to everything. What about you? Yeah, I would. I mean, we're planners, so we'd have to choose yeah. the early one. But uh, Why would I you would... want to be late, though? I can't even... There are Fashion people in this world entrance. Who, get, who get really stressed out about being early, like the mm-hmm. inverse. And so then they would just always run late. And for me, I'm with you, Mary, that I like to be on time, if not early. And I definitely have my sports background from being an athlete of coaches saying, if you're on time, you're late because you're supposed to be there 10 minutes or 15 minutes early. So that aligns with our conversation starter. But yeah, listeners, let us know. You can uh, share DM us on Instagram or on Twitter with what you would rather be, 10 minutes early or 10 minutes late or 15 minutes early. Yes, definitely. Let us know. Throw us a curveball if you're one of those uh, late people. <laughs> they're out um, there. <laughs> they're out there for sure, yeah. So we are uh, diving into our topic today and we are talking about the shoulds. Should you have an event? A golden question. So we're going to dive into that and talk about not only that, but just the the challenges and the shoulds of the event industry and what that looks like. Because I know as um, as I've gotten more involved in the event industry, I myself have heard a lot about what you should and should not do. And sometimes I wonder where those come from and if there's merit to them. So we will just talk about all those good things today. Um, yeah. Did I break that down pretty well, Logan? Anything you want to add yeah. about our topic? I think we're the, the central question we're going to hope to answer at the end of this, or at least challenge you to have this conversation that we're going to have on the podcast for you, is the question of should you have an event? Should you even have an event? And as event planners and event professionals, we always want to have events. But this is an important question that we think clients, event hosts, organizers always need to ask themselves. And if they're not already asking that, they need to ask that question. But before we jump into that, our discussion here, we are going to take a quick ad break. Hi, everybody. Mary Davidson here. When I'm not podcasting, I'm running my event planning and production company called EP Events, Events with a Purpose. Purposeful events are our jam. We specialize in fundraising events, 
corporate events, and community events, whether virtual, hybrid, or in-person. Our services include everything from full-service planning and production to partial roles, such as Zoom production, vendor management, stage management, all those good things. Whatever the role, our goal is to help you with your goal as we create purposeful events. To learn more, reach out to me, Mary Davidson, on all social platforms at EP Events LLC or on our website at epevents.org. All right, Mary. So one of the things that I would love to kick off our discussion with, I know you teased it a little bit of talking about the shoulds of the event industry and what do we mean first when we say what are the shoulds? And I'll define it, my definition first, Mary, and then you can kind of tack on. But for me, the shoulds of the industry is that there's a lot of things that whether it through Instagram, through Pinterest, through things you see on other social media websites or just on websites in general, there are certain things that people assume they have to have at certain types of events. And there are certain things that they just, that's like in their head, it's a rule. If you don't have this, it's not a real insert event name of event here. For example, like for weddings, if you don't have a ceremony, it's not a real wedding. Guess what? There's no rule that says that you have to or should have an actual ceremony. We saw people in COVID splitting those up, having a ceremony one day and a reception a year later, or doing it in a courthouse, having a ceremony and then doing their reception later, and some people just having receptions. And that's something that is an example where the wedding industry was tackling what I think would have been a should or has been a should for a long time. And the people, because of COVID, realized it's it's not a rule. It's just something we said you should do. It's not something you have to do. And so that's something that as an event planner and a producer, I feel like I'm constantly having these conversations with clients that like the world is their oyster pending budget limitations but and time, but they really can break down and restructure their event however they'd like. There's no should of the way they have to do things. How about you, Mary? What How would you define the shoulds of the event industry? Yeah, similarly, I think... Something that's always just bugged me personally, I don't know why this is. It's like with, with anything, I just don't like, I guess like superlatives, like it's always like this or you should always do this. And if you're not, then you're wrong. Like like really strong like that has always bugged me by anything. And um, with events, I feel like now more than ever, we have been challenged in the event industry and people have really innovated and so to me, half the shoulds are just totally out the window. Who knows anymore? Because things have just changed, that they keep changing. And I think it's awesome. So it's it's like what you're saying. Um, I think there's a lot of scenarios where certain things make sense. So you should probably do them that way. But I don't think it's ever like always the, um, the that answer, if that makes sense. So I would say I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's no event police that are going to come around and tell you that's not how you're going to do it. Now, one of the reasons why I think there's shoulds in the event industry is because a lot of events are planned by more than one stakeholder or there's at least more than one stakeholder involved. So like back to my weddings example, you know, your families are usually involved or your friends and they come with their own expectations of what they think you should be doing. If you're a nonprofit, maybe you have a board and you have board members who feel very strongly about the ways things have to be versus the people executing the event. Uh, if it's a corporate event, you have a way that your leaders versus your in-house event team versus your agency thinks you should do an event. So they're like, I, I acknowledge another reason of why there's those shoulds is because there's not always, not often can you just lead with one person making all the decisions. There's often a lot of politics or relationships you have to take into effect, but one of the things that I think makes you a really strong event vendor, no matter what you do in the event industry, is if you're helping your client 
or your guest or your host, event host you're working with, tackle those shoulds and just kind of like question them and be that devil's advocate because that's where I feel like some of we, – we had an episode right at the beginning of this podcast. Uh, I think it was episode one, right, Mary, with remembering finding your event North Star. I believe it was our first or second episode or of the pod. Yeah. Um, and just talking about how intertwined your like why for your event needs to be with how your event actually turns out versus if you have – if you forget the mission or the reason why you're having an event, that's where you often will find that your result isn't what you expected. And usually in a negative way where you didn't get that amount of funds raised if it's a nonprofit, maybe your turnout wasn't high or the people who came wrote a lot of different reviews because the content wasn't there. And that's often where we see as you can go back and say, oh, they've lost track of their North Star, of their reason of why they're having the event. And so that's something that I think you need to kind of already know your why and then ask yourself this big question of should you even have an event? So a should would be that you should know your why behind the event. But also, what do you think about like the idea of best practices though? Because like every industry, right, has like best practices. So in the event industry, are those best practices like like shoulds? I think if you're talking about like permitting or something like that, sure. But let's take like the legality out of it and just talk about the other things. <laughs> I agree with you. Yeah, there's, so there's definitely best practices. I think for me, when I when we're talking about these shoulds, it's like on a big overarching scale. Because then once you get down to the nitty gritty of execution, of course, there are best practices and things you need, you should. Maybe again, I wouldn't use the should word. I think I would still say that's like you need to do this or it's even a requirement depending on who you work with. Mm -hmm. But like with this question of should you even have, should you even have an event? I have... This is a question I hope clients have had before they've even thought about hiring myself or hiring you or any event vendors. But I will say I have worked events where I've had to help facilitate this conversation when they realize that what they feel like they should do as an event and what they can use to fund the event don't align. But I often see that they're not even one of the options on the table isn't even don't have this event at all. They kind of have blinders on that. It's like we just have to figure out how to make this event happen one way or the other. And there's a time and a place for that kind of mindset, but I always want to like encourage clients that they can think about like, is this the right format for their event? And I think we all had to do this again with COVID when we all had to go virtual. And there's just some things, like situations I see coming up now recently where I've had clients who've had success virtual and now think they have to go back to having an in-person element when the virtual has been so lucrative and successful for them, but it's because people are saying, oh, we have to go back to this. Remember, it was so much fun back in 2019 when we did this in-person part of the event. And I don't think they're even thinking about that they don't even need to have the in-person event, or maybe they need to think about having them as two completely separate versus trying to do them as hybrid. And I don't know if you've had this come across, Mary, of just people who should be thinking about whether they should or should not have that event. Yeah, I mean, the scenarios you've mentioned, absolutely. It's a really fresh question for sure. Um, but then something that, of course, my brain always goes to is is fundraising events. So if we can tackle that for a moment, I have many thoughts about <laughs> about fundraising events specifically. And it's because, you know, like as Logan was saying, with any event, you want to have a purpose behind it. You want to have your why. So that's true, like pretty much no matter what. But um with fundraisers too, it's like, I would say the stakes are even higher because it's not just an experience. It's not just a gathering. It's that plus you need to raise money. And um, you're doing that on top of like working with a lot of partner sponsors, a lot of partnerships. 
and things like that. So I don't know. To me, I just feel like the the pressure is high, <laughs> the stakes are high. And so for because it takes so much to put on a, a fundraiser, you know, you're getting things donated. You're not just buying things in most scenarios. You don't have a huge budget. And so should you have an event, like it's going to take you a ton of time. Usually it's with um, organizations who have limited resources and your goal is to make money. So is your ROI going to pay off? And so should you have that event? And I remember I asked this of someone once um, a handful of years ago, and they were like, if you're asking that question about fundraising events, then you don't understand fundraising events. And I was offended. And I, and I disagree with that still, because I kind of felt like, well, if I'm the only one asking that question, then clearly I do understand fundraising events, because isn't the point to make money? And the ROI sucked for this event. And so I was just like, is that so that so then that you know it's a whole circle it brings you back to well if the purpose of your event maybe isn't necessarily fundraising it's education then yeah you should have an event that makes sense in that scenario um i'm gonna stop there logan you can chime in because i could probably keep going <laughs> yeah well no i just think it's yeah it's so right i mean the person who told you that like they're clearly not asking that question because I mean, this is, I guess, really a part two to our North Star conversation that we had right at the beginning of the you know yeah. last season on the podcast, because if someone can't give you an answer for why you should like, or has, hasn't even entertained the scenario of what does it look like if we don't have this event, then to me, that's a red flag because it does feel like then the entire, a lot of the, the energy pushing you forward to planning and hosting this event is because you feel like you should, you should do that. Cause you're totally right, Mary. There's fundraising events and just events in general, like cost money. It does it like very rarely are you going to get an event for free. And so if one of, if your main goal is to raise money and you're hosting an event that spends a lot of money just to put the event on, if you're not having critical conversations about, should you even have it? Should you have it in that format? Maybe you change it to a different format. Like, I just feel like you're, you're hurting yourself in the long run. And that just blows my mind that there are people out there, but I know there are because this is something that I found myself in this scenario with clients sometimes already like we've decided they've paid a deposit on a venue or a platform and we're moving forward and we're kind of like too far down the road to for them to make those changes. And then you just see that, you know, the, the return's not there again, depending on what their goal was, whether it was hitting their attendance goals or something just because you could see these certain small things were out of alignment. And it was because they were like one example might be a conference that has really low um, turnout and you spend all this time on speakers and recordings and doing it live and rehearsing and everything. And then the day comes and you're way below your projected numbers. And if you looked back and realized, okay, we spent so much time catering to the speakers and what the speakers needed for their content. We didn't actually spend that much time on marketing and getting the word out to about the attendees or even listening to what our attendees wanted and having that help be a feedback loop back into our content so we could give them more of what they liked and then not waste our time on the things that they didn't like. And so that's something where, again, I think the shoulds of the stakeholders, the partners who were helping with content, like those overpowered the North Star of the event. And I know, Mary, like Mary, what else from kind of fundraising comes to mind when you're thinking about these shoulds? I mean, I think that's the uh, the biggest one. And then some, I guess something else that came to mind, but probably is, yeah, it's applicable at probably to any event. It's just like the idea of longevity. Like I think a lot of people think they should have an event because they've always had this particular type of event. It's like, it's like branded. It has, um, it's of note in the community. People know about it. And so they want to keep having this event. And those are the most interesting ones to me because a lot of times those, oh, don't actually make sense <laughs> and they kind of lose their purpose over time because they've been around for so long and 
I think it's super amazing when you see organizations or companies who take a pause and they're like, we've done this event for so many years, but does it make sense anymore? Like, wow, what a valuable question that they're taking a moment to ask. And it's hard. It is hard to figure out. Um, but then on the flip side, maybe it's an event that's brand new. And so that question's hard to answer. Should you do that event again next year? Is one year long enough to decide if you should or should not do it again? That's tough. Um, and I think I've talked about this in the podcast before, but there's one executive director of a nonprofit and he was saying he likes to do events in threes. He likes to give it at least three years for, for an event to introduce it to his donors because it takes time to get used to it. And so the first year, it's more of a friend raiser. They might, you know, have a not a wonderful ROI, but by the next year, people know about it. And then by the next year, they're bringing their friends. And so it really develops. Um, so I think there's also something to, yeah, the longevity of an event. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I, I feel like you'd mentioned that before. And I know that is something that's really valuable that you do need to give new ideas some time to breathe. But a lot of what we're talking about, I think, applies to events that have been doing a very similar thing for a prolonged period of time, which I'll just put a year on it, like at least five years you've been doing the same thing or a similar formative event. Uh, I'd love to transition. I think I've, now if I'm a, if you're a listener and you're like, you're like you're, you're resonating with some of what we're talking about, or maybe you're saying, yeah, but I have really strong, like those stakeholder voices are so loud. How would you suggest even talking to someone for a conversation that could be quite charged depending who you are? And again, we're speaking of this could be weddings, a corporate event, a nonprofit event, an individual birthday party, you know, you, you do need to acknowledge the other person's feelings that they probably, there's some emotion in there because things have been the same way, the whole like thought, you know, that for such a long time with this event, but then also starting to kind of just like softly expectation manage that, Hey, it's going to be different. And if you have some big reason, like I'm thinking for nonprofits, Mary, like if there's a, you know, the executive director, a leader can come out in support of this new plan of like, Hey, here's three reasons why we want to try something new this year. We're not saying we can't go back to the old, you know, the old way we did the event, but let's try this. Let's give it three years. And then we can always, you know, iterate and, and change as needed. But yeah, we did an entire episode about how to get executive buy-in because that is a whole nother one. You need to convince yourself as the planner or the person who's actually doing the operations of the event, but then you do need to, you know, get that executive buy-in, convince stakeholders to get on board. And that's, Definitely worth a listen if you are someone who's listening to this being like, yeah, we've been doing the event the same way for the last 10 years and I've always wanted to change things, but I don't know how. And that episode's a great place to start. Um, but I think if anything, my goal with this is hopefully you feel inspired because there are so many shoulds out there. And some of my favorite memories from events recently in the past couple of years have been because we did something different. We did something new, almost to the point where like one or two people in the group were uncomfortable with like, this might not work. I'm so nervous. You know, I did a dance party at a nonprofit event. We planned it and we told a couple people, we planted them in the audience. I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. And I had a couple people on the client side who were really nervous. Maybe it will work. Maybe it won't. And I told them if it doesn't work, we'll move on after a minute. But I had about five minutes of music prepped. And we, it was the highlight of the event, doing the spontaneous dance party halfway through this virtual event. It was just fun. It was different. We had cats involved, dogs, small children. Like it was really, yes. really fun. And the only way we would have done that was because they did buy into this idea of doing something different, not sticking to the shoulds of, oh, we're doing a Zoom event. So we should have people in breakouts. We should have someone on screen, you know, and really thinking about why they wanted to be there. And they wanted to be celebratory and fun and a dance party is celebratory and fun and it worked out it worked out. So Mary, do you have some examples or ways that you've helped try to get stakeholders away from the shoulds when it comes to event planning? 
Yeah, kind of. Um, the, there's one thing that keeps popping up in my mind. And so I'm just going to say it because I'm pretty sure it's it is along these same lines. But I was just talking to somebody, a potential client, and she was saying that she doesn't want to do like she wanted to do a different kind of event, not the same old, same old. It was a fundraiser. Um, and she said, like, I don't want to take an event that could have been in like a venue and just like pick it up and like move it somewhere else. Like because they were thinking of doing it outside somewhere. And she's like, that, like, we could just do it in a venue if that's what we're trying to accomplish. I want this to be a different event at like a different location with a different experience. And I want to highlight people who people in the community don't know, like use a caterer that people don't know as well. Like, and I, I loved that. I thought it was cool. And I, I, that makes me excited when I have hear clients who already have that mindset because they don't need to be convinced on the value that that can sometimes bring. But um, so I guess that's one thing that was popping in my mind. But then when you're talking about talking with stakeholders, um, I just think that a lot of times those stakeholders are the ones that love the idea and maybe the result, but they aren't the ones who have their hands in the work. And so I think there's a huge importance of having just like a straight up reality check. Like I'm thinking like your board meeting <laughs> and you really are doing a deep dive debrief into the event. And you're not just talking about what worked and what didn't work, but you're talking about like what resources did it actually take to pull this off? And I'm going to tell you because I'm the one who did the event. And is that worth it to you? <laughs> and so, I mean, that's it's like you're saying, and it's an emotional conversation to have, but I hope people are having those conversations and involving the people who are actually do doing the work. Yeah. And I, and I think too, because those conversations are hard to have. If you are the one doing the work, you're the planner, you're the producer, the manager, like even small amounts of progress, if you can't convince them to completely revamp the whole event, doing small things does help. Yeah, baby you steps. You know, I, I love a good baby step, but I also will say that for certain events that are in a funk or like, and I would just say it define a funk as maybe a very expensive event that's not hitting any of its ROI, making small changes is going to be really hard to feel that impact on your ROI afterward. But if you can get any kind of feedback, ver you know, written feedback and surveys from attendees, or even just like verbal when you're meeting up with, you know, again, not, if it's a nonprofit event, you're meeting up with donors, like asking them what's their, hey, what was your favorite thing from our event last month? Just offhand and see what comes to mind. Are they even talking about the food? Then why are you using this very expensive caterer that you know, you're not actually even that happy with because they were great 10 years ago, but you're not sure now. Or, you know, did they even, they didn't even mention the entertainment. So why are you paying for this, you know, entertainment ban? You need to think of something else. Um, one really easy way to kind of shake up your event, whether it was virtual or in-person. And I've done a YouTube video about why they're like in-person, your first five minutes really matter. But something I love for in-person events is really thinking about what the entrance experience is for your attendees because that's a great way to set the tone. And this can be like a really fun place to play with decor, lighting, music. I mean, just shaking it up from being a person at a table asking for their name and their ticket to give them a name tag or give them their table assignment. Like that's where I think there's always the joke. You want to have like Instagram worthy moments. And that can just be a fun place to really just transport your guests somewhere else. Because I will say in-person events are back and we've missed them and we're excited to be there. But they also need to be more exciting probably than, than what we were doing in 2019 to make it worth it for you know the travel and the experience. And right when people get there to your event could be a great place just to have some fun and try something different just to shake it up. Totally. Yeah. I think, yeah, the just having this conversation or th starting to think about these things is for sure the first step. Like that's sometimes the hardest part. And 
there's just one more thought that I want to leave everyone with, and then I'll pass it back to you, Logan. And it's just also the value in this scenario of, of analytics and like metrics. And I would say those are really going to be your friend when you're talking about if you should or should not have an event. Uh, one thing that I actually don't love about, you know, post-event debriefs is surveys. I think surveys are like a proven, it's like a proven like thing in the world of statistics that they're really not great <laughs> because they're very biased and like a lot of people don't actually fill them out. And then half the feedback you get, you it's just like, take it or leave it. It's really not valuable. Um, I mean, sometimes it is. Okay. Don't, don't get me wrong. But um, I would just say that surveys um, in addition to, to analytics and some data, I think are going to be your friend when you're deciding if you should or should not keep doing an event that you have been doing. And to Mary's point that is helpful to you is to fill out a post-event report for yourself. And we have a free download that you can email us at bettereventspod at gmail.com to get a copy of that because that, trust me, if, especially if it's an event that you do annually, you want to write it down while it's fresh in your head of what went wrong, what went well, any verbal feedback. Again, Mary's saying like surveys are hard, but I love if you can do like a soft, even just listening to what people seem wowed about. Um, anecdotes, like that kind of stuff can be a little bit more powerful when you're having those conversations of like why you should add something or not have something. But yeah, I think, Mary, was there anything else you wanted to add about why should you even have an event? <laughs> I don't think so. Um, but my immediate thought is don't give up and you should try to have some cool event. <laughs> We're yeah, we're we're super pro event. Pro event, yeah. We just want them to be intentional, and we're also yeah. of the mindset that if you're a planner, like by you asking this question, maybe you're not necessarily landing that specific event. But I do think it's a value add in the long run, and that person's going to come back to you for an event when it is aligned. And you can always leave that conversation that way, saying I'm ready to help you, and I'd love to help you execute this event. But I'd also love to make sure that we talk about you know the goals for the event, and making sure we're going to hit those. And any client I've had this conversation with has been very supportive. Granted, most of these people have this conversation before they even come to me. So this is our wish to you as an event vendor that hopefully our, our clients are all having these conversations, but please feel empowered to keep steering them towards intentional events. Love it. Thank you so much, Logan. And I love talking about this with you. And I'm going to pass it back to you for our bonus tip. Yes, our bonus tip. This one is take 10 to 15 seconds to double check your settings. And this applies to anything. I personally felt this when I recorded some YouTube videos the other day and my mic settings were way off. So I sounded super loud like I was yelling and there's no way that I could fix it on my audio settings. So I had to reshoot everything. And it's something I've also experienced doing virtual events when you're setting up, you know, for example, breakout rooms or you're writing things in the chat or anything that you're going to do that is pretty hard to kind of undo. Just take an extra couple seconds. Take 15, take 10 seconds, check yourself. And then you'll, you'll, you'll thank yourself that later on because I just, it's something that I reminded myself of recently and felt like I should pass along to you listeners. Love it. Always a great reminder for sure. Well, thank you everyone for listening to another episode of the Better Events Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this one. You are more than welcome to find us and follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Better Events Pod. We're also on LinkedIn, by the way. You can also send us an email at bettereventspod at gmail.com. Um, reach out for that post-event report. We're happy to share it with you, um, the template. And thank you again for listening. And we will be back with you again next Wednesday. Bye, everybody. Bye.